I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. You're listening to Muses and Stuff. This is the podcast that's all about the dolls. They were the groupies, the wives, the girlfriends, and the muses who played such a huge role in rock and roll history by simply being themselves. They were sweet, sexy, brave, and powerful. They went after what and who they wanted, and they made no apologies. We are your hosts, Shanti and Lynx. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and happy Good Friday. Good Friday to you all. That voice that you hear there <laughs> is my friend Kim. She's going to be joining us today, and we're going to be discussing Kim, myself, Lynx, all together, are going to be discussing a book called The Sex Girl a novel by Alice Carbone. Before we get into telling you who Alice is and getting into her novel, which is actually a first for us, we've done autobiographies, but not a novel, um, we're going to introduce our guest today, Kim. Yes. So Kim is an art and music enthusiast, and she's visiting us from Montreal, but she's originally from Australia, which... I'm sure you've gathered from the gorgeous accent she has. Uh, She's also co-host of the Badassery Show podcast, which is all about music and songwriting. And she has plans to open a fully equipped music and art gym in Montreal, which sounds amazing. Tell us about that. Hello, ladies. It's so nice to be here with you both on this beautiful Good Friday. Uh, Super nice to be visiting Toronto as well. Uh, But yeah, I've uh, been in Montreal for five years huge music fan I like to to play music myself um but yeah I'm my hugest my biggest passion personally is that I'm working towards opening a a fully equipped art and music gym 
in Montreal because moving halfway across the world, I didn't get to bring any stuff with me and I'm just so strongly inclined every day to play music and do art and I just think that there really should be a place for that um, I, lo- I love this idea so mm. much I wish, Isn't it just I exciting? wish you lived in Toronto or doing it here. <laughs> I have friends here who are who are interested in doing it too so hopefully I mean if we can do like a beta version in Montreal it will reach other cities later but I just think it's so necessary and I'm just blown I'm baffled by the fact that this doesn't exist anywhere I know yet. when you think about it like how, it's like how duh. It? Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't yeah. exist yet so it doesn't exist yet you yeah it's uh, really innovative mm. mm-hmm. and completely different and people might have heard the word gym and gone what so some people you, don't yeah some people don't that? get it um it it's basically gyms exist because it doesn't make sense for every man and his dog to go and buy every piece of gym equipment and put it in in his apartment especially this is the case in Montreal it's one of the most um, densely populated cities in North America actually and it doesn't make sense like you, you don't go and buy all the stuff you go to your nearest gym and you buy a membership and you go there when you feel like it it's the same thing with art and music for some people um, they get the same feeling and the same adrenaline and the same fulfillment from art and music as your, you know, your muscle men who love to go to the gym. It's just different preferences. Um, but access to this stuff is so important because for some people, like there's therapeutic reasons we don't even know about. We're just inclined to do this stuff. And, uh, I just think it really needs to exist. So it's also a great way to find your instrument, figure out, go play, like be curious and pick things up and see what happens. And it's that open-mindedness that needs to be bred more these days i think i love it that's wonderful we'll have to keep everybody updated on the process and the i just want to let everybody know how kim and i got hooked up and i had received um a message from our mutual friend rael shout outs rael shout out to rael and she said Oh my God, she's such a babe, which let me (laughs) just give me a second. I I specifically want to talk about that. Um, Sent me a message and said, I need to introduce you to my friend Kim for two reasons. One, because she also has a podcast about music. And two, and maybe more importantly, (laughs) she is the other biggest Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers fan I've ever met. And I was like, no, you're kidding. Because I've met men who are huge, huge, huge Tom, Fe- Tom Petty fans. But I've never met anybody who really shares what I share. The kind and we're of like the same age. Of, it's uncanny. Yeah. And we came to we came to like him um, differently. But like won't even get into that because we have an episode. Exactly. Um, where we talk. It's called Something About Tom <laughs> Petty. And you can see it on YouTube. So you can go through the Badassery uh, YouTube channel mm-hmm. and watch us talking about it. It was the first time actually we had seen each other because it was a Skype. I know how funny and, is that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was and, so magical. And then we recorded it as well. So mm-hmm. you can catch that on uh, either or both if you want to listen to it two or three times. You can find it in many ways. Yeah, mm-hmm. on, on our sites. And it's funny because we kind of got hooked up, you know, on blind date style. And do you know how I met Rael? We got hooked you up blind date style. Oh my God. Yes, actually, she did tell me that story like just the other day. Yeah. About you guys were going to the same festival and you were like, by the way, I'm just letting you know I'm going to be wearing a cape. And she was like, get out. I'm going to be wearing a cape too. And then you guys just found each other in the like crowd. It, oh, yes, there was that. <laughs> but we got hooked up by a mutual friend because I had told him that I wanted to like try starting to date women. Okay. Right. And uh, he said, well, you know, I've, I've got somebody who I think you're going to get along with really well so I thought that we had gone out for a drink first 
and then but maybe it could be the other way around no it could be yeah it could be first it was the cape thing and then we decided to meet for a drink yeah it's that seems logical to me knowing you both yeah you would would have this like really cool thing and you had this precursor um introduction and you both knew sort of and then it just played out Yeah, yeah 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 so um i don't know what it was that we just it was friendship mm, right after meeting but i've always like had a big crush on real uh, yeah she's a babe she's a babe in so many different dimensions 100 <laughs> percent. so was it you who brought this book to shanti yes that's what happened so when i went i i fell into a uh, what would you call it just I already knew about Tom Petty because my family loved the Travelling Wilburys. Growing up, it would always be playing this DVD, you know, when my family was drinking and stuff then. And this is just a very, very fast synopsis of the of the Petty show uh, episode that we did. Um, but I knew of them. Then last year, I found the documentary on Netflix, watched it, watched it basically every week for six months, realized I needed to go deep into their music catalog. We, we watched it last night yeah, together. We, <laughs> we It was like an actual dream come true. I asked myself, we what did I do right in a past life we, to be here now dying. with this beautiful angel watching my favorite um, rockumentary of all time? Yeah. We both knew enough by heart. So we know we, every word. We were singing every song. Like screaming at the same moments. Oh and I'm like, this is, this is groupie in 2017. Yeah, and we were, yeah, you said before we had our phones and we were both like Instagramming at the same time. Yeah. Like, yeah. But I went deep into this Tom Petty phase last year. I listened to only the Tom Petty back catalogue, 40 Years of Music, for like six months. I didn't listen to anything else. No radio, no nothing. And uh, basically it led me on this like rabbit hole. It led me down a rabbit hole that was amazing. So I started like, okay, where are they now? And like which ones have social media? And then I found, you know, Benmont. I was like, holy shit, Benmont has the craziest Instagram channel. He really does. Hashtags. Hashtags. Yeah. Just go find Ben Montage on and look at his hashtags and try Instagram not to die. and Twitter. He goes nuts. Like I don't think he actually understands what they are, but it does not matter because he will hashtag anything and everything, and it's hilarious. <laughs> anyway, but he's so smart and he's, he's so kind, he's and he responds to people. He is somehow Open, so responsive. humble. Yeah, he's. Uh, it's really fantastic. So it's the same way that we found a couple of women was through these. It's an ex. It, these like bands of exploration. So fascinated yeah. about. If you go cut, out and find the women behind the men, you'll find them. If you want to find them, exactly. you'll find them. They're always. We there. find the music first, and then we find the men, and, and then, then the through the men, we find the women, and we all connect. And then I was saying to you guys before, this is just a theory, but I think those relationships feed back to the men and then it feeds into the music and it's just this like whole big it's feedback loop absolutely yeah. but i found benmont i found alice and i was interested in alice because she's half benmont's age that's awesome but i was like fascinated by her because that meant she was my age and i just went i found all these podcasts that she spoke on i found out that she had a podcast found out the book read the book and then as soon as i met you guys i was like oh my god you need to get and this so book. And so I had known about there. her at this point, was yeah. following her. Mm-hmm. And so if anybody... So Alice is originally from Italy. So she's Italian. She's beautiful. She has this beautiful Italian accent. And she's online and she's essentially healing through cooking. Because as we get into the synopsis of the book and we start to evaluate some of the characters and it is a work of fiction, mm. But there are some very autobiographical tones in it, which will... She's openly said this is semi-autobiographical. So she has an incredible story of addiction and recovery and 
of course, were interested in and wanting to learn, wanting to learn from these women who we go, I see myself in her or I see myself in who she used to be and how can I learn from this and receive this information and even and, and speak about it, share with other people the knowledge and information and then actually hopefully speak to the woman herself about it. Mm-hmm. If I could jump in and continue a little bit there. So Alice isn't just the wife of one of the most famous keyboardists in the world. She came to LA in, I guess it was like the mid nineties, early two thousands. She had a a blog. She's in communications. She had a blog and then she started a podcast and she's obviously got her own affinity. Not obviously she absolutely has her own affinity to music because she had this podcast and she had Moby. Like she just came from Europe to to LA, didn't even know that many people. She had Moby, she had Benmont, that's how they met. Um, incredible. Incredible. And you know, she had they all went these out famous for musicians. After. Yeah. She had all <laughs> these famous musicians on her show and the titles, I don't know if you want to jump into that, Shanti, because it's a pretty special mention. Thing. The oh, chapter title. Every of the chapter book. title is of a song and a band, and a lot of the times I would go, "Oh, I love that I'll song." Read the first. I love that all, band. All of the songs that she mentions are just so amazing. Okay, Let's and Kim made a three. playlist, which we should probably add to our Spotify playlist as well. Sure, yeah. I um, when reading the book, I listened to the music that went with each chapter. Well, which is a really great way to do it, and. Um, kind of is almost an interactive piece yeah it really, with the book. It really it's very smart i was very impressed with that and i mean she made a point to write these out so i made a point to seek them out you know uh-huh. that's true yeah so i think she was doing a lot of um she the thing that i found so fascinating about this book was the amount of mystery and then how much subsequent research we wanted to do because we wanted to find out more. And it's funny because uh, a theme of more, more, more is involved in this book too, especially in the extremes. world of addiction. And yeah. it's extremes. It's uh-huh. a book of absolute extremes. It's um, haunting. It's shocking. It's beautiful. It's poetic. Um, and it's funny. It's mysterious. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, oh, oops. Siri... Siri keeps popping up in all my podcasts right now. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> I just want to quickly, while we're talking about that, read some of the songs. So the first one, I found as many as I could on Spotify, added them to a playlist, and these are like mostly in order, but there's Changes by David Bowie. Um, I'm skipping the ones that I don't know super well. Well, there's, okay, The Memory Remains Metallica, Chloe Dancer slash Crown of Thorns, Mother Love Bone, R.E.M., Country Feedback, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Dig Lazarus yeah. Dig, uh, the Rolling Stones' Wild Horses, Shanti, mm. is that, it's your favorite, eh? Mm-hmm. Wow, that was Canadian of me. Oh, good for Don't you. Don't Fear the Reaper, Blue Oyster Cult, Placebo, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Room at the Top, Leonard Cohen. I'm going to stop there and we'll carry on. <laughs> okay, great. Um, do we want to get into the synopsis yeah. and then uh, our fascination with yeah, the characters? Okay, and, then, and we're going to my gin here, you guys, <laughs> which it, we're going to bring up. It's an important it's important piece of information for everybody to know. It is, it is pertinent, pertinent that um, Kim is drinking gin and has Shanti been. is not She's getting into the mood. I've been getting into the mood for the last yeah. three hours. She's on holiday. I'm on holiday. Who which one wants to give the synopsis? You go for it. Oh, um, I definitely thought it was going to be you. Are you prepared? Do you want me to do it? Do you want me to do it? Um, yeah, go for okay. it. Yeah. 
I, this is I mean, funny. Just this is funny because know. I could if I wanted to. Um, I'm just, I have a lot to say. She has other stuff so. she's mentally preparing for. Yeah. Well, I read this the longest ago, but I feel like I, I am compelled to, to do it. But Alice grew up in Turin, Turin, Turin in Italy. Um, I think we're not really sure because it's semi-autobiographical. We're not really sure when she left Italy for real, but, or even, I don't even know when she left the book in left left the country in the book but um she she basically grew up in italy kind of dated um musicians ish she was a little bit like rebellious she already started to exhibit the things that you know haunted her more in her adulthood in la as well like some uh, eating disorders um addiction to drugs and alcohol and just you know this outlandish behavior very um you know ex- things of extremes um but she talks a lot about the beautiful landscape and things like that so it was very vividly explained to me i remember that from reading it she left la to come to america um she's a very she's she, she studied communications and writing very good writer came to la very brave and bold of her started a blog the blog got huge uh i think the blog got bought she started a podcast we're talking about alice yes, yes. and half of this stuff that i'm saying which we're going to get into after is things that really happened but it's, yeah, this is what happened in the book. So I'm actually referring it to Alice, but it's Kay. Yeah. So I should have mentioned that. The character she talks about is Kay. She just refers to herself as Kay. But uh, Shanti and I kind of seem to be on the same level about what's real and what's made up because it's semi-autobiographical. But and it's because we were so curious, we went and listened to podcasts mm-hmm. that Alice actually spoke disclosed, guests, like guests spoke, spoke about. Things that happened in her life, which were very reminiscent of what happened in the book. Mm-hmm. And some like stuff that we read online. So, but yeah, sorry, my bad. It, that's Kay, but most of it seems to have also happened to Alice. Um, so going on with this Kay character, she, um, she actually, she doesn't have the podcast. This is what I mean. Like, Wait, I know no, there's no podcast in the book. Okay. So I'm t- half talking. I'm, I'm absolutely annihilating this, this <laughs> synopsis. Too much gin. <laughs> Too much gin. No, never. Not a, no. Not enough gin. Never enough gin. But, um, Too much, baby. Yeah, so so Kay goes to LA, um, wants to kind of have a new start, but really struggles with the same things. Like new scene doesn't necessarily mean like blank slate because you're still you, which really resonated with me personally, by the way. Um, and she, she basically struggles through this like new life in LA. She meets this gentleman called Bill, which we're going to talk about in a minute. And... Um, just has this crazy life and really goes deep into um, some of her darkest moments, which resonated with me a lot. She struggles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her main struggles or how she tries to deal with her struggles is through um, a- drugs and bulimia, eating disorders. I want to mention later as well that this this is super something I've been it's something I've been thinking a lot about lately because she's obviously got this deep pain and where it comes from is kind of irrelevant because we all have pain from all different places but nobody is taught how to deal with their pain she's trying to to drown it with drugs and alcohol and bulimia and she's she's scratching at this itch mm-hmm. but no but you know and now today today the writer Alice is trying to actually deal with those things and how hard must that be mm-hmm. to deal with the pain without any of these tools anymore exactly and I think kind of skipping ahead I'm gonna address that right at the end mm-hmm. is the tools to dealing with the pain which um 
just from personal experience I can speak to because I'm almost finished my yoga teacher training so just talking about like ethics of yoga philosophy and that lifestyle and then just going back to Michael Dibar and um, his recovery and being sober for over 40 years and him being like a yogi as well and finding some of those um, ethics in in how to live your life and repair but in terms of like I, I think it's really interesting that you said nobody has ever taught to deal with their pain I think because um well I can say again um in in working with young people that actually in the mindfulness is coming in a lot sooner so instead of having to do uh damage control and instead of having to try to fix a really broken thing it's the it's prevention Mm. and it's tools and I think that a lot of young people and their parents are wanting the sooner acknowledging stresses anxieties and triggers sooner so that they can have very um healthy ways to deal to go close to approach the pain to acknowledge the hurt and work through it sooner instead of pushing 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 until it gets out of control and Mm. Um, to pick off where you said it doesn't matter where what, what the source of the pain is, that's a really good point because even the character K doesn't seem to know exactly where it's from. And she does go to therapy. She is trying uh, uh, in the, the way that we're sort of taught, like talk about it. And, and she's trying to vocalize it. And her therapist is also trying to help. But... Sometimes you you can't pinpoint what the issue is, hmm. which is also all the more devastating when you're when you do want help. Yes, that's a really good lead in to. I was like, how how are we going to approach a work of fiction, a novel instead of like an autobiography? Mm-hmm. Do you know it's what very I mean? So one thing that we did, like that I did was I chose a couple of um, passages from the book that really resonated. And one of the things that she wrote was, it is a mystery how Kay became such a tormented figure given her apparently idyllic upbringing. Her parents were not rich, but she could honestly say that they always did their best to give her everything she needed, freedom included. So uh, with a lot of our previous groupies, we can say, okay, Catherine James, horribly abused by her mother. Right. Um, but in terms of somebody like Kay and as, as well as myself, I, idyllic upbringing, I would definitely use those words. Mm. And so um, when you think like, well, if somebody because if you think about somebody who has serious um, addiction issues or mental health issues, you're like, OK, so what happened to them mm. when they were a child yeah. to really get them going? But then we find out later that um I'm trying to remember if this is in the book or if this is Alice. I, I know it's definitely Alice, but I'm trying to remember if it was in the book. Links, you can let me know. Um, Alice said that she had a grandmother who she loved. Again, a huge theme with a lot of the groupies. Myself, you know, a grandmother who really meant a lot to me. Um, actually, like a, and a great aunt who became like a grandmother who very much guided it and still guides me even though she's passed on Kay's grand or Alice's grandmother oh my god it is both right links she I believe it's a huge theme in the book um 
struggled with depression and tried to commit suicide. And then one thing that Kim and I had in common was, again, the upbringing, but then realizing later on in our lives the mental health issues as well as depression um, in our families. So on my dad's side, my grandfather, my great-grandfather committed suicide. It wasn't something that my family talked about very much when we were growing up, but it kind of came out once we had questions, mm-hmm. which really affected my grandfather and which really affected the way he treated my father. Mm-hmm. And so realizing that my dad was struggling with mental health issues, but keeping it very quiet so it wouldn't affect the family, but a very inner struggle. Um, and then on my mom's side huge alcoholism my my great-grandmother was an alcoholic and all of my uncles were alcoholics and all had to quit drinking at 50 or else all of their families were gonna leave them so for me I'm like okay yes wonderful upbringing but then there's something in me that I was born with that can go to those places if under the wrong circumstances so for me I am not drinking alcohol at the moment. When I started this podcast, if you go back to episode one or one or two, the one with Mark, he says something like, okay, we'll have a beer after. Actually, no, like just tea, right? Because I wasn't drinking at the beginning of the podcast because I've gone through these spells in the last couple of years where I've been like, I'm done. I am so done. But then I'd be like, okay, I'm good now. I can have control. I can do it. And I tried to drink again. And then I have these moments where... I'm in chains like my just my life I'm not free anymore and I'm that's what I want that's we what we all want we want to be free we Mm want to be we want to accept we want to all these things and so I'm not drinking at the moment because by not drinking often when I do decide okay I'll have one and then one turns into three and three turns into nine and then I display or I have behaviors that tap into both those both sides of myself that's in there from my genetics that makes me hate myself mm. which is the mania so my mom she's really cute she calls it hyper that everybody's hyper <laughs> everybody on my mom's side of the family is hyper but it's really it's very manic and um impulsive and yeah like highs very high highs and very low lows Mm -hmm. and then thinking about the um mental illness on my dad's side of the family so for me personally and I'm like yeah I just I'm I'm recognizing that that those parts of me come out so I'm like you know what I'm just gonna avoid that by avoiding alcohol Mm. and I'm fine Mm. I mean I guess I'll jump in because yeah we had this little discussion before about it um I'm the same I cannot fault my parents upbringing with me and my brother and sister we they gave us everything we needed we were never hungry we never really had any problems it was like uneventful it was fine it was great um I was probably you know always dreaming of something more I was the kind of person who like I was put through public school and I used to mix with these people who went to private school so I was like felt like I was missing out but honestly you know in like super retrospect my parents did a great job there was nothing eventful but as I was going into adolescence I learned of all of this crazy crazy trauma which it's it's unrepeatable like in public I can't tell the story online I'll probably share it with these girls later some other time but it was stuff about my family's history on my mother's side that was very traumatic for her makes her who she is today and I'm really proud of who she is and I am her like 100% her Mm -hmm. in so many ways it's scary but this you know I learned all of this really uncomfortable incredibly crazy stuff as I'm going into adolescence and this wasn't affected with how I grew up. I mean, it was it was it involved family members that I knew, 
and had some of them had passed. So I thought I knew them. And then I'm told all of this stuff about them after they've passed, which changed everything. And my family also, for what you were speaking about as well, we all have very bad genetics for drinking. And uh, you've tried to handle it the best way that you could. And for me, I, I'm a very all or nothing person and I see it as a fault sometimes. So for me, I'm not going to try to force myself to stop. I've never, I don't see it possible that I could stop drinking. I just have to be more cognizant of how I am. I have to check in with myself. I have to drink water because I can't not drink. I love drinking. I had to admit that to myself and that was very difficult. Um, but I'm, yeah, this so many things in this book resonated with me because I'm a person of extremes mm-hmm. and yeah. I, and I definitely relate to that too. It's interesting. You talk about genetics. Um, I definitely had, uh, an excessive drinking problem when I was younger and uh, it's funny because my father also did when he was young as well and one day he woke up and was like this isn't what I want and he just quit he was able to just quit just like that and the craziest thing was I had that that day where I had that awakening as well and I was like what am I doing like this isn't I'm not happy anymore. Like this makes me hate myself, like you were saying. And I just quit. And I didn't, it wasn't like a plan. I I didn't expect it to happen. It just sort of happened one day. And I didn't decide, oh, I'm going to quit for this amount of time. It just. Like a short term thing. You were like, right now, it's not going to work. I just need to take a little break. Mm. And then I was about, yeah, it was about (laughs) a month. And uh, I went out and just the smell of alcohol was so off-putting. Like my whole body like could like revolted. And it was like it was three years before I could even like smell a drink again and be okay. Were you working in the industry at that time though? Was that hard? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I was out like every night. It and that's what kind of led up to the excessive drinking too when you go out like five nights a week and you're getting free alcohol from like everywhere you look and um I definitely didn't know how to say no Mm. I find with the going out and being a sober groupie um I actually I like it because it's a it's a challenge and it's a test that like if I want to be bold then I need to be truthfully bold Mm -hmm. and it needs to be just come from a place of true courage Mm -hmm. that I'm going to go up to this person or I'm going to say this thing or maybe I want to be spontaneous and it needs to come from a very natural place. So I was finding that the alcohol was like telling me lies. It was not true. Um, Especially the next day when I would wake up and I would have these feelings and have these feelings either towards myself or towards actions. And I probably would have done those same actions, you know, be it a text that I had sent or the way that I approached somebody. I might have done that. Interesting that Either you, way, you but... challenge yourself to try it. You're like, okay, I did those things when I was drunk. Is it really what I want to do? Right. Should I try to do it? And it's it's nice. I think that it's still sort of you, but it's a different you. And it's a more raw you and a real you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's also nice to remember. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, but like waking up the next I day. I recollection. <laughs> yeah. 
the next like waking up the next day and having those feelings of oh my god I'm so sad it's like that's false I don't feel that way and if I don't drink for two months then I don't have those feelings and then the minute that I do I have them so I know they're not real they're, it's it's like and I don't want that I want truth give me mm. truth um and yeah one of the best experiences I ever had was at a music festival in my hometown with somebody who was he- headlining the festival and I wasn't drinking and I remember every single thing and we had a super sexy night and I didn't drink and he was like well I'm not gonna drink either then so neither of us did it's It's good to have people around who support you but I think uh, as well you have to be able to believe in a decision like that even if the people around you don't support you and I think there's probably so many people in this industry who have these like drunkards all around them all the time and that's fine like everybody's personal choice is fine when it's bad it's fine because it's a personal choice when it's good it's fine it's always fine but everybody has to be true to themselves but I think it must be very hard for people to be true to themselves in this environment I agree would you like to talk about the character of Bill? I would love to talk about that character. Wow. <laughs> okay, so we know from real life Alice Carbone that she met Leonard Cohen. and Yeah, she did. Yeah, she did. <laughs> she calls him Leonard. Leonard. Oh. Like, <laughs> I don't mean to say this in a jokey way, but like actually RIP because, wow. Yes. Like, let's... We'll take a moment for that. Um, but she met him. She was totally moved by him. He saw in her a beautiful writer. He saw her spirit and her soul, I think. And he, his publishing house was related in the publishing of this book, which is amazing. And uh, we know that she had this relationship with him. We know that she's married to Ben Montench. And it's so mysterious. Like, Bill Benmont. Is it is that character based on Benmont or is it based on Leonard? Did they have a relation? We don't know. Or is it an amalgamation yeah. of both of them? She seems very creative, so that could be possible. I'm almost embarrassed that I didn't put the Leonard Cohen thing together <laughs> myself. But when you said it, I went, oh, my God. You were God. like, oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, cool. or they could be somebody else because you know what those two things tell us? She likes older men. Mm-hmm. And... I think from the storyline of Kay, the character, because she's obviously been inspired by her own life, I think that Kay was also inspired by older men. Maybe the people that she dated, the the musicians that she dated in Turin in Italy seemed like they were older than her. I don't know if that was the case. But she has this affinity with older men. And so maybe it was that one of those two. Maybe it was another guy. But this is one of the examples of the great mysteries of this book. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to read a part of her book that she mentions uh, Leonard Cohen. The character Kay mentions Leonard Cohen. She was taken with Leonard Cohen, not with the popular bands or with the hot soccer player of the national team. He was the ultimate poet. His humble handsomeness was irresistible. We all just like swoon there for a second. <laughs> she nailed it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Like I remember um, being in university and reading. That's how I came to Leonard Cohen. I did not listen to his music first. I read his poetry first. And I remember just being on the bus or sitting down by the Autonomy River and reading Leonard Cohen's poetry and just being just obsessed with it and the poet. And I was also taking, uh, I graduated in English literature and French studies degree. So I was reading a lot of 
um, really awesome English lit. And a lot of it was a lot of the romantic stuff. And, you know, she mentions Lord Byron in her book. She's very romantic. She's very knowledgeable. She's very smart. What am I looking at? (laughs) I'm showing a photo that's got my Leonard Cohen, his latest record with my bra. Because it's black. It's black. It was on my bedside table when I uh, recently moved into a place by myself. I was feeling very alone. So I was like, I'm not alone if Leonard's with me. So I put his record there, but usually it was leaning up against that lamp. And I took my bra off, which was also black. And I put it on the record and I took a photo and I was like, that's beautiful it is. and sexy. I was just going to say, very, very <laughs> sexy book. I just wanted to bring that up. Nice. Oh, I just saw in my notes there that um, that character K uh, was writing an essay on Lord Byron. <laughs> oh. So, yeah, I can get that. So if you're like writing, if you're writing about these romantic poets and, oh, I would love to go back into my university notes and read what I wrote about the marriage. Even just, you know, the summertime. I love reading poetry in the summertime. Um, that would, that'll probably a be a you good time to okay oh, i will so remember we were talking about extremes we were talking about being a person like we are kind of all or nothing people um when we go for something we go for it really hard one thing that i found really interesting in both the book and both the podcast that i listened to about alice was um how she felt about christmas so She says in the book, I am waiting for Christmas. I always have high expectations for that day. So I thought about it and I went, oh my God, like I feel the same way. But then she was always like depressed afterwards. Like Christmas was like, she always had such high expectations. Such a big buildup. Such a big buildup. Always so excited. And then was so sad afterwards and I experienced that as a child Mm. and I never understood why but that's it it's the it's the build-up it's the excitement it's the wait the wait the wait the anticipation the anticipation then it's 25 minutes of pure bliss Mm -hmm. opening up gifts feeling a rush feeling super high and then looking at all of your things and then going it's done. Yeah. It's over. I feel like a lot of people get this way um, for New Year's Eve as well. It's, like, it's everything. And it's, I experienced the same thing. A birthdays, every event, like a friend's birthday party growing up. I had so many letdowns because of expectations. And as an adult, re- it was only recently, I'm turning 30 soon, where I realized having expectations is so damaging. And it's something that, that we don't realize that we do. But if you can be cognizant of it, you can save yourself that And that's that it. That's, a, that's something that we learn in yoga is not being attached to the outcome and yes. the result. And meditation. They but just, that. yeah, being equanimous, like, regardless of what happens. But I was... I was going to say, and you can link that back to addiction yeah so exactly because it's always wanting more it's getting the hit it's feeling the rush and feeling the bliss and then it leaving and and asking what now what more and so it's never that I was disappointed with the gifts that I had gotten in in fact I looked at the gifts I was like oh my god I just got even as like an eight-year-old being like I just got so many amazing things and then crash an overwhelming sense of guilt of feeling the feeling sad over it either being over or just just feeling empty and not knowing why why. and I think it's because now we're seeing this very basic thing even starting as a child of the weight and the anticipation and then it even made me think about how I was obsessed with this guy in university I met him in 2009 and I was obsessed with him for a good five years and what 
and there it was other boyfriends in and out of my life during those times and he's the one that when I was talking to Mickey and I'm just like how how to let go and what I'm realizing is is because he lived out of town and the moment he left the calendar started when does he get back the countdown the waiting (laughs) thank you so much I'm here to drop into Tom Petty whenever it's necessary (laughs) exactly Um, so I would wait, I would wait, I would wait, anticipation, 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 uh, maybe two days, maybe two hours of what then of the bliss that I experienced after the anticipation, the absolute crash of when he left and the depression that happened and then the calendar that started Mm -hmm. again. This is super related to the whole thing about anxiety and depression because people who think too much about the future are anxious people. People who hold on too much to the past are depressed people. So there would have been a stage in what you just explained where you had depression and you had anxiety because you start the countdown but there's so much time to go. So you're having this mix and back and forth of anxiety and depression and these little breaks of when the magic is happening. But it's just, it's very traumatic and we're not taught how to deal with that. People who go to self-help books are judged and there's a stigma to that. But like fucking honestly, that's how I recently learned how to deal with all this stuff. You have to learn how to deal with your pain. And for people like us with these extremes and this anticipation and waiting, we have to learn, which I learned like personally through meditation, is to sit with nothing, doing nothing and be like you learn so much about yourself. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not waiting for something. I'm not thinking about something from the past. I'm just right here right now. And it's fucking scary. It's It's very scary. Yeah. yeah, just being present. And yeah, so many people are scared to just be them, you know? It's terrifying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying to fake come up against yourself, you know, with a, no armor. Yeah, so that's called, um, so one thing I'm learning, so our minds are our chit. And those little things that bother us and that come through are your vritis. Mm-hmm. So chit vriti. And so when you're sitting there in meditation, you are watching your chit and then you watch the vritis that come up and then you just allow them to move to forward. everything be. That's it. So, um, you know, we've, we've gotten really deep in this episode, probably the most personal mm-hmm. we have gotten in this sense um, so far on the podcast, which is I'm so happy to have gone to, to have gone here. But the book is funny too so she's so self-aware and there are some really great moments where I giggled to myself and one of them is I believe she's talking about Bill um and she says about him his father had committed suicide when he was 15 and his older brother sorry older sister had already left the country and moved to India to find her true self with the Hari Krishna, then opened an orphanage with her second husband after three years of chanting, a rigorous vegetarian diet, and extreme yoga practices. (laughs) And I can't help but laugh about that because I'm always like, yoga this and yoga that. And I understand like some, for some people, like they don't want to hear and they're like, oh, there she goes again with her like, you know, because sometimes the most tortured people are like peace i'm going to india Mm. and Mm. and sometimes it's extreme and we do have fake yogis out there and we do have i call them silicone yogis Mm. that are the like you know (laughs) they talk the talk but they don't walk the yogi walk or but um i thought that was pretty pretty funny that she added that in because it's a great way to be to be able to laugh about these things because you know otherwise how else are you gonna get through it yeah, she's a really she's a really beautiful author. Mm. 
I was blown away. Yeah, mm. it it reads like poetry. It just it's very lyrical. It flows and it's vivid. I found yes. I was I, I'm an imaginative person, but I found found it to be more vivid than other things I've read. So I really like when she said uh, a rigorous vegetarian diet <laughs> because again we talk about people with extremes eating. Eating is one of the biggest ways that people can control something, mm. have control over something, especially if they feel like their life is spiraling out of control or lose or control, yeah. that moment. That's right. So again, going back to the ideal upbringing, I grew up in a family with a completely loving and supportive father who did an- anything and everything for me. It was like, as you wish or... Um, yes angel whatever it is like and then I had two brothers who valued me for my intelligence and my sense of humor and but like I saw my little brother today and he looked at me and said you look great you know so he's like they're not afraid to also comment on my looks and tell me you're looking really healthy you're looking really good or um you know or my older brother being like oh yeah I can really tell that you've been working out or whatever like they're not afraid to say that but intelligent people they're they're so wonderful but but they always like it wasn't just that either do you know what I mean um but regardless of all of those things being valued for being smart and getting good grades and being a hard worker and going after things that I wanted um I still felt this extreme pressure to look a certain way and to have my body be a certain way so I remember from a very young age just asking so how do calories work how do I make sure that I'm not gaining how much exercise do I need to do you know having no idea like remember you know like being in in university and working out all the time but having a diet of absolute crap and Mm. just not really understanding how all of that stuff works. It's very traumatic. It's like friction in yourself. It's like... Mm-hmm. 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 Mm. Um, you know, watching a best friend who had an eating disorder because her mother was always after her about losing weight, but really she just had like... Uh, like she just had a... Like she had broad shoulders and like she was um, from Belgium. Like just yeah. like a, a, a taller girl. Um, so a part of it, but, and then just, of course, society and like those kind of standards and things like that, that, um, I wouldn't necessarily say that I had an eating disorder until probably, uh, when I was in Halifax and how old were you then? 27, okay, maybe 26. And nobody noticed like nobody could really tell like that I was struggling through something or like counting things because I disguised it as healthy Mm -hmm. because I was following a really 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 rigorous paleo diet which is meat vegetables a little bit of fruit and nuts and there's no grains there's no dairy anything like that so then I got almost like a phobia of like Mm. grains and dairy and things like that and I was working out all the time because I had the time to do it and I got down to probably just above 100 pounds and um, I went home and my grandparents and my uncles complimented me I got a lot of compliments on how I looked when I was really thin and uh, like I had like my breasts were barely there and I was so proud of myself that I like had such 
self-control and I'd like go to restaurants or I'd be at like a dinner table with people and I would only put like I, I would have a full plate but I would feel so good that I didn't take the piece of bread and put it on my plate or that I didn't put the gravy on or that I didn't or I wasn't eating the potatoes because they weren't a part of the diet mm. right mm. the only person that mentioned anything about my weight was my best friend since I was four when she saw me she was like what is up Mm. like the truthful one the one that actually had that care yeah realization. yeah so I know we talked about this when you finally you get down to this weight and all of a sudden you're getting these compliments and I'm like this is my true body this is what it really should look like and um you know I remember my grandmother saying oh, you look so skinny you look like teenager <laughs> um and my uncle being like you look so good yeah. and so like that compliment being like yeah I do mm. I thank you um because somehow even my grandparents and my great uncle picked up this thing that like that's what girls should be looking like I don't know where the hell they got that from but then there's this point where you sort of start thinking does that mean I looked bad before Mm. yeah especially if you're yeah if you're an overthinker you start to go down that road (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah so I had that going on and it kind of all came to a head when I went traveling because last because I was like, well, I'm not going to eat a paleo diet when I'm in Nepal. And then I go to Ireland and I was in England and I just kind of ate what I wanted. And I instantly gained so much weight because my body is so sensitive. Yeah. If I eat a certain way, two weeks later, my body will look this yeah. way. And if I exercise a certain way, two weeks later, my body is going to look this way. So all of a sudden, Mine's I was like up, maybe, like, really I was up 10 pounds on a frame that's like pretty small. Mm. And, and you denied your body for so long of those things. So. Yeah. Of so course, it's gonna it's gonna take <clears throat> what it wants when you finally do give it to it. So essentially, I've been for the past year just trying to reboot and go. What do I need? What feels right? I am a, What's I'm your body almost you? thirty years old. Like I'm becoming like a woman. What mm. should this body look like? How should, How it, should feel, it feel? More importantly, yeah. so I'm just trying to eat so that's why I love Alice's like healing through cooking because she was there like she was extreme bulimic like so so bad bad. and you know my mind didn't get there but I like the idea of healing through cooking and not having these like mega restrictions because you have to redefine your your relationship with food and your body it's and and she is such a good role model for that that's and talking, not something that so much relates to the book, but after that. Talking about intuition and just listening to your body and finding out what's right for you. Diets don't work for everyone. Mm. Uh, you can't just look at something in a book and be like, yep, this is for me. You have to, you do have to experiment. You have to try new things. You have, you have to, that's Although- why cooking is so great. Like pick what pick what you like and see what works Hmm. but like the paleo thing like that's pretty scientific if either of you were to go okay i'm doing i'm gonna do this paleo thing and i'm gonna cut out all of these things and then gonna pair that with like um high intensity workout Hmm. three days a week and maybe some yoga like during that as well you'll you would both be down 15 pounds oh yeah in when i said diets don't work forever yeah i didn't mean like that you wouldn't lose weight right yeah like it, it might not be healthy. But what's for your, your life? To... What's your lifestyle? Exactly. What's your background? Exactly. What's your personality? Like, there's so many vari- variables. Mm-hmm. I might like just quickly jump into mine. But I, I grew up with with my main female role models struggling with their own things so much, and it was so visible to me. A lot of yo-yo dieting, and so that was what 
I knew to be normal. I didn't have healthy, I didn't have role model, female role models in my life that had healthy relationships to food. My sister a little bit, my mum struggled a, a lot. And so my, me finding my way took a very long time. And I would say I had my worst experiences when I was in my late teens, early 20s. Very traumatic. I was never diagnosed with an eating disorder, but I was borderline like very a lot of struggles you know I would take breakups the wrong way and think that my body was wrong I would Mm. compare myself against magazines probably a lot of things that a lot of other girls do but it was really in my and and I'm very I've always been very sporty I'm very tall so I'm lucky if my weight fluctuated a lot which it did at sometimes people couldn't really tell but I knew Mm -hmm. and I have to just say it's not until I reached my late 20s where I finally started to feel what was right and listen to my intuition like currently I'm happy with my with my body I prefer to eat healthy because it feels good and I do what exercise and movement feels right and it's just so beautiful to have found that balance but Mm -hmm. it takes time so if any young girls are listening to this like don't beat yourself up because it's fucking hard absolutely and um I never had uh eating issues I was actually really chubby girl growing up I feel very lucky that it never affected me mentally I managed to get through that and my weight naturally dropped as I grew up just from activities and stuff your lifestyle yes um but the interesting thing is when I look back now I was always comfortable with who I was but even then in the back of my head it would be like hey I'm happy with my body and I'm happy with who I am but if I were maybe a dress size or two smaller then I would have like the perfect body but this is all right and like a decade later I I look at photos of me back then and I think how the hell did I ever think that like Mm -hmm. look at how skinny I was like it's it's just so crazy like what your mind can do yeah and just that idea of skinny can be beautiful but skinny does not equal beautiful like it's not the recipe for beautiful beauty is so much more and beauty comes in all different sizes and shapes and colors and everything like true beauty is inner anyways so you can have the runway model um who we've been taught and Mm. conditioned to believe number one beauty but if they don't have the heart and if they don't have the spirit and they don't have the the intellect you know passion for making the world a better place than when they found it then that's not anything to me and if they're not healthy if it's not a natural thing for them to to be thin if there's it you don't know what's going on you don't know what's under the surface yeah so another so touching on extremes This book is called The Sex Girl. And I think because of where we are for time and as well as because the book is called The Sex Girl and we've already touched so much, I think we should leave it up to listeners to go and look at this book and pay attention to and read and be shocked and amazed and blown away by the way Alice talks about sex and then they can kind of come to their own things because of course we could now go on for another 20 minutes and talk about how we relate to the book and how we relate to the sex girl in our own lives but I think we should just leave it up to it's the readers it's or an the incredible listeners. book to read yeah. yeah oh my god it's there's so many layers to it and it's it's just so interesting I don't think I don't think that she knew what it would be when she was writing it to be honest because she's probably well we know that she took a lot of the content from her own diaries and her own experience semi-autobiographical but 
it's just come out as this like enigma kind of thing like it's so fascinating and mysterious and like complicated but simple in a way I think that there's just so many things that girls like us and even girls that aren't necessarily as into this scene the music Mm -hmm. scene as we are anyone any girl will relate to this book in one way or another but then the music connection is incredible too Mm. so the fact that she's so passionate about music and then you know just relating it to the whole of all of the women and all of the groupies and all of the rock stars and the connection between um extremes and creativity and passions and substance abuse and there's one question that kept popping up into my head she never mentions the song itself but there's a band i think the song came out in the 90s or early 2000s by a band called Kay's choice and it's called not an addict and it's about you know deceiving yourself on uh what you are basically and uh i just found it interesting that the character's name is k and this song kept popping into my head so alice if you're listening to this could you maybe send us a message and let us know (laughs) we're very curious or or so many questions or you can just say that you'll come on and you'll tell us um you'll you'll just tell us in your own words uh Yes. And answer our questions mm-hmm. that we have for you. Because we have lots more and we just... Now I'm just like speaking to you. <laughs> we just love yeah, you so much. Yeah, when you finish the yes. book, like you're not finished with the book. You you, you want kind of more. end up with and, more questions yeah. than you started with. Speaking of finishing the book, what... Like a hell of oh, an ending. Oh my God. It's got this all is, of us. This is the thing, right? We so, were all bo- we were all avid book readers. Yes. And we did not... Nobody's, none of us saw this coming. Also, we just want to say that when we talk about it being kind of fiction, semi-autobiographical, I believe, and I, Shanti and I have kind of agreed a bit on this before, I think it's like 95% based on Alice's life. And I think the 5% that's different is the ending. I think the rest of it, I think she's changed people's names slightly. I think she's used a bit of like smoke and mirrors, which I love because it hooked me so hard on this book. But I, I think the ending is the only different thing to her life. Well, personally yeah maybe we can ask her one day we or maybe it's better to keep to it a mystery <laughs> we, would, we would love to know yeah. yeah we'd love to know and if it's okay with you guys i just want to go over the ethics of yoga because i think that's how um alice is really living her life i think that's really how michael debar is living his life and because these episodes have been back to back and it seems to be a theme Mm. it might be just interesting to tell the listeners what they are and then kind of see how they can incorporate that into their own lives so one thing that we the three of us girls and alice as well we and and uh, michael as well pamela too vegetarians yeah we're all vegetarian pamela is a vegetarian isn't she is she maybe I'm a vegetarian. Me too. Pes- and- pescatarian, but vegetarian sounds less pretentious. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I've just started because of, um, because of, You're a vegetarian now? yeah, oh. for almost a month. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> so, and I really wanted to do this because I really want to live my life as ethically as possible. Like I know now, I know better now, and I know I feel like or I'm getting the idea of what I'm doing here and how I want to continue living out the rest of my life and a lot of it is based on these yoga ethics number one being ahimsa 
which is nonviolence. The only reason why I hadn't gotten into vegetarianism before was because I was scared that I was going to gain weight. So I actually messaged Alice or I commented on one of the things that she'd written. I said, so you're a vegetarian, right? And I told her I've been thinking about it, but I am worried. And she said, well, you know, anyway, she gave me a really like she replied back and it made me feel really good. And I was like, "Okay, I'm going to go forwards. Thank you. And I really hope she does. Um, She's working on a cookbook Mm -hmm. and I like really can't wait to to, I would I would I would pre-order it. Do you know what I mean? Um. But I've, I've I've let that go. Like it's more important to me at this point to live this way ethically and just make a more of an effort to just not like eat bread for every single meal. Hmm. But it's okay to eat bread again. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then to be able to live a little bit more ethically, which mm-hmm. I've chosen to do now because before I took I used the way I look took precedent precedent over everything, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm done with that now. So. The five yamas are ahimsa, which is do no harm, satya, which is to be honest and truthful, asteya, which is not stealing. That could be not stealing people's possessions. It could be not stealing people's time, anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, brahmacharya, which is no sexual impropriety. So essentially what that means is that happiness doesn't lie in the sexual field, Although we get feelings of bliss and happiness from having sex. So that's why people can get addicted to that as well. Um, But it's just caring about others and caring about yourself in the sexual manner. Mm. Right? Um, A perigraha, which is non-greediness, non-hoarding. So if you were to look in my room right now, Uh, I'm obviously having some... (laughs) A bomb went off in Shanti's room. (laughs) But it's because I'm trying to get rid and and I passed on um, like I six pieces of clothing. I a coat I was like looking for in the stores and I was like, God, I don't want to buy this coat. So this worked out so well for me. Yeah, and it looks great on you. And some of the clothes that weren't really fitting me great, like they look amazing on you. So good. I'm glad. And I've got two bags to donate. And so I'm cleansing. trying. I'm cleansing, cleansing non-hoarding. I actually have a box at home that I'm trying to donate as well. Yeah. Good. Should put our stuff together. Yeah. Perfect. Um, yeah. Okay. So that was the five. That was the five yamas. Um, now there's the five niyamas and it's some um, things to do for yourself. So a lot of those ones were like, no, no, no. Every time mm-hmm. there's a ha, like ah, ah. is non. Okay. So ahimsa, non-violence or, okay. So the five niyamas are shosh, which is taking care of yourself. Santosh, which is acceptance that leads to the equanimity and peace. It's a radical acceptance of what is. Mm. Tapas, which means courage and bravery. Tapas, if you do yoga, you would also know that that means heat, which is the power to transform, building an inner fire within yourself, um, transforming figuratively and literally. Then there's um, Swatye. I'm not sure if I'm saying that one right, or I might have even written that wrong (laughs) down. Um, Written that wrong down. Which is self knowledge and investigative study. So yeah, if you like started introspection, introspection yeah. of yourself, and then probably like some Maybe some readings and and books and and learning from spiritual teachers and advisors and things like that. And then the last one is surrender to the divine and to the highest self and to your true self. That's great. That's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot of 
There's a lot of common themes here Ooh. from all of the things, like the episodes you guys have done and what everybody seems to come to it eventually, right? Yeah. Right. So we could also, just to kind of wrap up, um, these themes are very present in the seven sacred teachings of First Nations people. Wow. So those are based on the teachings of love, respect, courage, honesty, wisdom, humility, and truth. So one thing that we can tell the people and one thing I think is really great to be telling children, especially as they start getting into an area of like peer pressure and wondering like, who am I? Be like trying to find that, that identity. It's that you think back on your seven sacred teachings and if somebody's asking you to behave in a way or to do something or act in a way that goes against those teachings, then you know that it's wrong. And so it's like an inner compass to just stop yourself before and then giving them the, the giving the tools of the mindfulness and the forgiveness of one's own self because mistakes will always happen. It doesn't matter how early you get mindfulness training and whatever. We are humans. Mm. People are flawed. Things happen. You make Life mistakes. Is Life yeah. is hard. For a lot of us, we, we have to go through it to learn. We have to. Yeah. We have to. Well, everybody, that's, everybody has to go through it to learn. And I just actually want to mention a quick thing when you talk about the First Nations people. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was a, an event in Ottawa taking place about reconciliation. And I remember one of the elders spoke, and I, I will never forget this. She tried to speak and her English wasn't that great. And she apologized. She said, sometimes I'm going to say the wrong thing because uh, I get confused between he and she. Because in, our, in the way we do things, everybody is genderless. Yeah. How interesting is that? That because there's a, there is a correlation between how you know, the very early Canadians treated the First Nations people and how the, you know, the, the UK convicts or whatever treated the uh, Indigenous Australians. Mm-hmm. They stole their children. They said, you don't know how to uh, look after your children. They treated them very badly. Mm-hmm. But look at some of the principles that these people had and yeah. look at life today. Yeah. Look at all the shit going on yeah. about gender. We won't even go into that, but just like note that these people yep. know what's up. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And that being, you know, oneness with the world and the You're earth human. and everything. We are all humans. And, and you know, yeah, absolutely. <sighs> okay. Yeah. Mm. Well, why don't we just let that sit in <laughs> for a little while? <laughs> um, we'll stop there and we'll just let everybody know where they can find you, Alice, and ourselves. So let's start with you, Kim. Where can listeners find you online? So my podcast is called The Badassery Show. Um, we have a YouTube channel. We are on iTunes. We are also on – we're hosted by Podbean. So we have a Podbean website. I think it might be thebadasseryshow.podbean.com. We're on, you know, Instagram, Facebook with all the same name. Um, and myself and my co-host are reachable through all of those channels. Awesome. You can find Alice online on Instagram at AliceCarbTench. This will all be in the show notes. Um, and you can find her online, AliceCarboni.com. And you can see what she's doing to heal uh, through cooking. Mm-hmm. You can, where do we find us, Links? You can find us on Facebook and on Instagram, Instagram at and, her. Yeah. and Twitter. <laughs> Uh, Muses and Stuff podcast on Instagram and Facebook and on Twitter at Shanti and Links. Awesome. And actually, before I've remembered this one thing that you guys are probably going to want to do, 
we did this thing. So we did a Skype call with this amazing woman named Lucretia, who's out in LA. She is um, a zine creator. She's a blogger and she loves... Wow, she's a whole lot of woman. She's a whole lot of woman. <laughs> and she's uh, a, group, a groupie in her own right. And she said that she does something called bibliometry? <laughs> Bibliomancy? Oh, I, wrote, I feel like bibliometry, but I'm not sure. <laughs> and so what it is, is you open whatever book it is that you're reading and you put your hand down and you read whatever it is and then it it can it gives you a message. It mm-hmm. gives you a special message. I've also heard of people doing it where they read the sen- they read either the the sentence and then they read it in one level and then they read it again and then they dissect it into a second and third and fourth level. But oh. we just did it, so I did it before. And what was your um, do you remember? Yep, I opened the book, I put my finger down oh, yeah. and it was cigarettes and vodka did not work. <laughs> um yeah that is true so that is true so i am not drinking vodka and truthfully i have smoked cigarettes and uh, (laughs) i have done it yesterday um no we didn't oh my god guys we did not (laughs) i have not smoked a cigarette but other things oh you did we smoked other things yesterday Okay, but it does not say cigarettes and vodka and grass. We lit it something says and cigarettes and yesterday. vodka did not work. No, you're right. No tobacco yeah. was involved. That's no, right. there was no tobacco harmed in yesterday's experience. That's right. So that's what I got. And so the girls decided that uh, they're going to do it right now. Live action bibliometry. It's a very interesting book to be doing this with. Yes. <laughs> Shit. This is going to go haywire, maybe. Yes. Links, you can go. All right. So I put my finger down yep. on anything? <laughs> no, you have to do it. You have to read it. Uh-uh. Okay. He looked lost in the hotel room, and his discomfort helped make Kay fit into the scene. She was the one who was supposed to feel lost, having just arrived, young, under the gun, and in an environment that was not naturally hers. You can unpack that one. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay, your turn, Kim. That was a pretty pivotal part. So that's when she's just arrived in LA. That's good. Okay. Oh, I'm on a chapter. Oh, I'm on the chapter called Bill. (laughs) This one doesn't seem to have a, um, this must be like a sub chapter because there's no song on it. And for some reason I'm drawn to the top. Just two days from the self-confidence of the ocean night on the Sunday morning that followed, Kay's only thought was killing herself. She wanted to cut up the body she hated so much. She could not bear waking up sad anymore. Actually, I'm glad we came to that because she also obviously had self-mutilation going on. She yep. had every, everything. Like, she just had such an angst against herself. And there's a lot of talk about not being alive and being, wanting to be dead. And it's just... I've never had any self-mutilation issues in my life, but Mm-mm. I know a lot of people do. So yeah. that's another thing people might be able to connect with. Mm-hmm. Okay. Amazing. Mm. Um, thank you so much for coming to Toronto this weekend. And I really encourage everybody to check out the Badassery podcast because I'm certainly learning a lot of things <laughs> that I did not know before. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so nice to meet you both in the flesh. And I love your show too. Love thank it right you. back at you. This has been a great episode and a great chat. Thank yeah. you. And thank you, Alice, for being so amazing. And thank you for having this wonderful book. And we can't wait for more thank you listeners okay take care everyone bye bye
Have you ever watched a futuristic sci-fi movie and wondered, but wait, could any of this really happen? And will I live long enough to see it? That's what our show Hypothetical is about. I'm Carrie Bechet, and on this podcast, we ask what-if questions about the future. Like, what if we could read minds? What if the world's digital data was erased all at once? What would happen if the Yellowstone supervolcano erupted? Then we explore that question two ways, through speculative science fiction and through dialogue with brilliant scientists. The result is a genre-bending narrative that's interwoven with real facts provided by literal geniuses. And, spoiler alert, a lot of the science fiction out there, it's not nearly as far-fetched as you might think. Come time travel with me into the future on Hypothetical. New episodes on Tuesdays available on all your favorite podcast apps. Just search Hypothetical. That's H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L.